And so the new year begins. Families return home after journeys far and wide. Whatever the destinations, the question upon returning is the same. How is my life different? And what now shall I do with my one wild and precious life? It's curious. We travel in search of our true self, yet also in, true, in search of anonymity. In new landscapes, we are free of roles, labels, and expectations of others. When I'm on the road, no one can place me. I can remake myself, for better or for worse, of course. Question, can you recall a time when you took off alone, leaving all identifying labels behind? Where did you go? Do you recall feelings of joy or perhaps fear? Did you wear a little name tag that said, if found, please return me to so-and-so? When I was 11 years old, my dad and I spent a summer at Sarah Lawrence College in Bronxville, New York. Dad taught summer school. But I was free to explore, and I did. So every morning I walked down the hill to the Bronxville station and hopped a train into Grand Central. And from there, a 15-cent token was all I needed to enter the New York subways, which took me to Vistas Unlimited, from Coney Island to Yankee Stadium to Far Rockaway. Now, my favorite destination... I'm reluctant to admit, was the line of tourists at NBC Studios in Rockefeller Center hoping for free tickets to game shows. And don't ask me why. I must have found something fascinating about seeing such shows and hearing all the squealing on The Price is Right. But I especially remember Strike It Rich. Did any of you see that thing? No. Okay, fair enough. The top prize was $500. Contestants were usually single moms with unbelievably sad stories of personal tragedy. And the show's MC, Warren Hull, fought back his tears as contestants described their ramshackle home, hoping that they might take home a little bit of grocery money if only they could remember what is the capital of Uzbekistan or something like that. Well, after I sat through a couple of game shows, I headed for the Midway at Coney Island and ate junk food and eventually made my way back to Bronxville. The next morning, more of the same. The Big Apple was awaiting. Back then, it was quite safe for an 11-year-old to venture into New York. When I was in my early 20s, uh, one of my favorite travel destinations, I was attending the University of Minnesota, and I would travel up uh, hop into my pickup truck and throw in my tent and my sleeping bag and drive three or four hours up to the north shore of Lake Superior. Um, I'd go in September after the tourist season and spring break before the tourist season, so it was always extremely cold, um, but you avoided a lot of people and mosquitoes that way. And I would find a logging road, an old two-track, and I would just drive down it until I found a clearing and I would pitch my tent. And I would just spend days there by myself hiking, reading, writing, getting away from it all. Spending time on Lake Superior, it was my favorite place of rejuvenation and renewal to fill up my spiritual coffers to endure another year of real life 
where I wasn't away from it all. Well, now that I'm in my 71st year, I'm much more particular in spending time with my family, with professional colleagues, on my own. Exotic destinations are of less interest, but instead there are a few places to which I do return for renewal again and again. For instance, the Rose Garden at the University of British Columbia, Nobska Point Lighthouse along the rocky coast of New England. My priorities now are a bit different. I prefer to linger, to dig deeper wells, to pay closer attention to people and events and butterflies in just a few spots. How is traveling for different for me now? Interestingly enough, almost 30 years later, my favorite place to go is still Lake Superior. I don't get there as often as I used to, but I find a lot of renewal and rejuvenation on the big lake. What's changed for me, I think, is the, the companions on the journey. In my 20s, I often went up alone, but occasionally I brought friends with me. This year, I decided to go backpacking in Pitchard Rocks, and since Josh has graduated and gone off on his own, I usually take that trip by myself, which I find to be one of the most spiritually renewing and wonderful weeks of my entire year. But this year, I thought, step out of your comfort zone, Diane. I had a friend that wanted to meet me there who lived in Duluth. And so we met up on, the, on Pitchard Rocks and spent a week backpacking on Lake Superior. But apparently I hadn't noticed through his letters through the last 30 years how much he's changed in not the best ways. And it was raining and really cold, and I got to spend days stuck in a backpacking tent on the cold and rainy shores of Lake Superior with my less-than-desirable companion. <laughs> and I, I reaffirmed for myself that when I'm seeking spiritual renewal in nature, it's a far better opportunity to go by myself. <laughs> Speaking of companions on the journey, it's interesting how we, how we think things are going to be and how they really are. My dog Kira, who I thought was my, going to be a companion on my journey for the next decade, was tragically hit by a car and killed this summer. And it's given me a lot of opportunity. It's provided opportunity for me to really stop and pause and question and think about life. And when you think the way you think things are, the way you think things should be, or the way you think things are going to be, and when they're not that way, when life does not unfold according to our best laid plans, when life does not unfold according to the way we want things to be, how then do we live? How then do we acknowledge our grief and our sorrow and the pain and the disappointment when life is what it is and we can't make sense of it no matter how hard we try how do we sit with that mystery of the way that our lives are, with the companions who are there with us on the journey, as the journey unfolds in the mysterious ways that it does? And I, I, don't, I don't have the answers to any of those questions right now, but this summer has provided for me with like the worst vacation ever <laughs> and the, the passing of my beloved, my beloved girl. 
has provided a lot of opportunity to dig deeper within myself, to sit with those questions, to sit with that mystery, to sit with the unknown answers, and to ponder them and to seek what is the truth. How do we make sense of it? And I think more importantly, how then do we live? How then do we get up every single day with the grief and with the pain and with the suffering and mixed with the joy and the beauty that has all makes up life? How do we get up every single day and continue on the journey? And for me, I try to do that with a sense of peace and with love, with compassion, with loving kindness. for myself and for those around me with varying degrees of success on any given day. But I set those as my intentions and that is what I try to do. And the one things, the things that remain constant are that there are always travelers on the journey with us. And for me, it's the people in this congregation that have been such a rock of support and provided opportunities to be real and authentic with wherever I'm at, and to provide love and openness and acceptance. And for that, I feel tremendous gratitude that I have fellow travelers and seekers on this journey. Our homecoming service includes several events for your participation. One is the water ceremony as you brought water from places where streams of life nourished you, from the Matawan to the Thames to Skagway and countless locations in between. But the second part of the service, in a way the most important, happens after the postlude, since there hasn't been time to hear all of your stories during the service, during our gathering at Coffee Hour and Beyond. Ask someone, maybe someone you don't know, so tell me. How did this summer and the location that you spoke of, how did this occasion bring you discovery and amazement? Tell me about your amazements. There are several different ways to travel through life. One type of traveler is the true believer. Such travelers are very sure they have already found the answers in politics, science, morality, religion. This is the answer, period. They are very sure of themselves and often build high barricades along their road to guard against being assaulted by contrary points of view. A second type of traveler is the cynic. These folks deny that any enduring truths or meanings can be found. They may wallow in sarcasm, ridicule other travelers, fill the road with potholes. Having no interest in the hard work of discovery, cynics prefer to take pot shots from the sidelines. For both of these types of travelers, their journeys never go far. True believers are confined within the barricades of certainty. The journeys of cynics are riddled with potholes of despair. For such travelers, there can be no destinations. One must remain forever out on the road. Sometimes, we Unitarians may fall into such patterns. 
spiritual vagabonds, all dressed up theologically, but with no place to go. I find neither of these two ways very fulfilling. There's a third group of travelers. We might call them seekers. Seekers are a ragtag collection of scouts and pilgrims, questers and jesters, inquirers, pioneers, visionaries. They saunter along, pausing sometimes to smell the flowers, but equally intent on viewing new horizons. Seekers share some common characteristics, an inner restlessness, a restlessness with standing too long in the same place, a strong curiosity about the next curve in the road, a delight in the journey itself, a resolution to always walk in freedom, and finally, the conviction that the way home is not backwards, and it's not around either. It's through. The way home is always through. To arrive at the place where we started and to know that place for the first time. I've discovered that this summer as I've tried to move through the center of my grief and not go around it and not find other ways to distract from it, but to acknowledge what is the reality head on and try as hard as I may to move there with an open heart and not to become hardened by the pain and the sorrow and to close my heart, but to keep it soft and gentle and open as I move through the center into the fullness that is life. I left the woods, wrote Thoreau, for as good a reason as I went there. Perhaps it seemed to me that I had several more lives to live. I did learn this, for if one advances confidently in the directions of his own dreams and endeavors to live the life that he imagines, he will meet with a success unexpected in the common hours. And sometimes I wonder, you know, perhaps travel and love are very similar. Both involve a state of awareness in which we are mindful and receptive, unencumbered by fixed familiarity. We're open to being transformed. Perhaps this is why the best journeys, like the best of our loving relationships, never finally end. They bring us back to the roots which hold us close, and they offer us the wings that may set us free. May it be so.